We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Rotoware NFL podcast sponsored by Yahoo DFS. I'm Joe Bartle. Yes, I was the one talking to you yesterday on Tuesday with Jake Letarski, but today I'm filling in for Jeff Erickson and I am speaking with one of my favorite guys. I I, I don't even think it's a lie to say it. One of my favorite guys at Rotoware right now, Jim Coventry. Uh, we don't get to see each other very often. It feels like the Vegas trips are really the time we get to connect, but every time it feels like we got a bunch of different stories that we can kind of break down. Yes, absolutely. And that Vegas trip is great. That's the one thing that I don't like about being away from the home office is that I don't get to see you and the other guys who I appreciate hanging out with and spending time with. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Well, wait, where are you based again? I want to make sure. Chicago. Yes, Chicago suburbs, actually. Ah, okay. All right. So it isn't even that far of a hike down that you could just come and see us more often. Yeah, I probably need to do that. That probably is kind of foolish on my part not to. So yeah, you know what? I'm going to make that a plan. There we go. That's that's what I like to hear. Well, you can follow Jim at Jim Coventry NFL. Uh, we're going to be talking, obviously, NFL for this NFL-related podcast. I did want to start first with a little bit of Wednesday's news. Damien Williams has been missing the well past week, week and a half now with a hamstring injury. Coach Andy Reid at one point was complimenting uh, Carlos Hyde, saying he's done fantastic. And it was disappointing that the starting running back, the name for the, for the Chiefs, Damien Williams, was not in there. And it almost seemed as if Carlos Hyde was somebody that they were interested in promoting more as a 
uh, 1A to Damian Williams 1B. Williams is back in practice, although it looks like to be a limited capacity. I don't know if he's available for the preseason. We haven't got that information yet. But what's your take on this situation, Damian Williams' injury, and where you would value him um, in drafts right now? Yes. So it's Andy, Andy Reid makes me laugh sometimes because he's a running back's best friend when you're on the field. But when you're not in practice, he'll play these little mind games with you and make you feel like guilty for, you know, for missing time with an injury. But that said, I have Damian Williams squarely as a running back one. I have him as my 11th running back on the board, and I am very happy to draft him. A lot of people are worried that he came out of nowhere last year, which did happen. But when he played in Miami, I always thought they misused their running backs. But when they used him as a receiving back, he always looked shifty. And and that's exactly what Andy Reid needs out of his running back receivers. Andy schemes him open better than anybody. And, you know, we see that over the years of the running backs that are elusive. You can be a great receiver. So Damian Williams is going to be heavily used. He'll never see a stacked box. So yeah, he's going in the second round of drafts and I'll happily take him as, as my top running back. What do you think about him? You had him at pick 11. So are you saying you're going to take him over like a Joe Mixon, uh, Le'Veon Bell or Delvin Cook? I think Bell is probably the high end of that, whereas maybe Delvin Cook's on the low end of that 11 spectrum. Yeah, I should have um, been more specific. At my running back list, I am as running my, my running back 11. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, my 11th running back. So who's he behind then for you? So players I have in front of him. Um, I have Le'Veon ahead of him. I have Joe Mixon ahead of him. I have Dalvin Cook ahead of him. Okay. And actually, Marlon Mack, which means I'm not going to get Damian Williams because Mack will still be on the board when Williams is up. But I'll probably differentiate in some of my drafts when I have those picks, and I'll, ma- I'll make sure I have shares of each of those two. You're, that's interesting that you're so high on Marlon Mack, man. I'm just hammering my microphone. I'm so excited about that. What, what makes the difference for Marlon Mack to you over a guy like Damian Williams? I think... I, I, I was telling this earlier, and we actually did a podcast with Jake yesterday about sleepers, uh, well, two weeks ago, but busts in particular. Everyone knows who Damian Williams is, but I think he's a trendy guy that at least late second round or mid-second round value could have that first round type of capability. I think Marlon Mack could fit in that discussion as well. It sounds like you certainly believe that to be the case. The thing that, that threw me and got me set on this was the end of last season. Remember when Naheem Hines was a thing? He was seeing all kinds of production, right? Well, all of a sudden, Max starts taking almost 80% snap share down the stretch and in the playoffs. And here I am, an idiot, playing Naheem Hines and DFS in the playoffs, and he's not even on the field. So they were playing Marlon Mack in game situations where it was only passing back work. And so in my mind, they made the commitment to go to Mack as their primary guy. And Mac, from a metric standpoint, he's about way above, and like, like the three quarter and up percentile in all of the measurables. And so he's a guy that profiles as a runner and a receiver. And when you're tethered to Andrew Luck, I just feel very confident about him audibling in the run plays when it works better. And that's ultimately why I like him over Damian Williams. I believe those proper audibles are what will make Marlon Mack more effective, especially near the goal line. Over a thousand total yards. Uh, he played in only twelve games last season. I think part of the reason people were down on Marlon Mack is that he missed three of the first five uh, due, due to various injuries. And I was talking with 
Chris List just before on SiriusXM how Jordan Wilkins probably doomed me a little bit as the fill-in for Marlon Mack. But once people were a little bit over-aggressive and dropped Mack, he came back in Week 6, had 89 yards on 12 carries against the Jets, followed up against a good Buffalo defense with 126 yards and a touchdown, and then did what I think a lot of us were anticipating he would do last season, 132 yards, two touchdowns against a Raiders defense that is actually pretty bad. So it's interesting that you bring up, are you considering Mack more as a three-down back then if he's taking out Naheem Hines? Like he only had 17 catches last season and 21 in his rookie year, so it's not like they've been utilizing him that much over a guy like Hines, who we know is a, a fairly good receiver out of the backfield. Right. What I have to go on is that late season usage and especially those two playoff games. Hines was not on the field on passing downs and Mac was. And now Mac was in a situation when the, when they were trailing in the one game, Mac had to pass protect more. So he wasn't able to leak out. But the intention of having him on the field was probably twofold. It had to have been one that he a he can pass block and B they would not have been afraid to have thrown him the ball or else they would have not probably not put him on the field on that third down. So based on the usage in those down the stretch and playoff games, I have to believe Frank Wright, who I believe is one of the sharpest minds in the business. He had a purpose and I can't see him backing off on that purpose this year. So I think the catch is certainly not going to be 70 or 80, but I don't see a world in which he can't get 40 catches. Oh, wow. 40. Okay. I mean, then then absolutely. If you're talking 40 catches and then similar rushing production for what um, Mac has done in the past, or last year at least in particular, yeah, he's he's probably not even a top 12 guy. He's a He is a top 10 running back, and he would be worthy of a first-round pick if that's the case. I don't know if I feel confident enough to suggest that he's going to be that good of a, a receiving threat, but it's interesting to note how they kind of handle that. I, I'll pose this question to you as well. Um, this isn't so much news today, but it has been the past week now. Andrew Luck is going to be missing practice again this week. It's a calf injury that um, was supposed to be fine in June, and I think a lot of people are scared off Andrew Luck and his status in particular well, because he has a situation where a shoulder injury was supposed to be done prior to the start of the season, and oh, then he misses the entire year. <laughs> there's there's some concern when it comes to Andrew Luck, and I think it's overblown, but what what are you, what is your take on the calf injury overall right now? Yeah, that. That does bother me, but if there was one team where I was kind of happy with the backup, Jacoby Brissett's pretty good, and especially now if I'm talking about a running back getting the ball. I'm a little concerned about the receivers, especially a guy like Funches working in, uh, Paris Campbell working in, but I'm less worried about Marlon Mack if Jacoby Brissett has to step in. So either way, I think he ends up being fine. And one more thing, the 40 catches. Sometimes we don't think about it this way. It's two and a half catches per game. That's not a lot if you're going to be an 80% snap share player. You you can get two in your sleep. So sometimes we just think about that number, but then we say, oh, well, that's not, you know, two catches a game. That's nothing. So, yeah, I think he can do that. Yeah, you're right. I guess – you're right. When you say it like that, two and a half catches, it's not unreasonable to assume. I'm not convinced Mac is able to stay in the field uh, all 16 games. Once he's able to do that, then I think I'll anoint him in any different direction you want. But it's it's difficult for me to assume that he's going to play uh, the entire time. We haven't projected for just 26 receptions and 222 receiving yards. But I doubt that Chris was take Chris Liss, who does the projections for Rotoware, was taking into account specifically just those two playoff games, which you noted had Mac seeing over 75. I think it was 70 percent of the snaps during their win and then their loss against the Chiefs uh, in the divisional round. That sounds great. Yeah, and I like the addition you made on Mac about him being able to stay on the field. It's a very valid point and something that the listeners need to consider when they're deciding to pull the trigger on him or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, The other bit of news that occurred today, 
uh, and it actually kind of does have to do with the Colts as well. It feels like we're, it's not intentional. I promise, listeners, it's not intentional that we're doing a Colts-themed podcast. We talked about Dante Foreman. He was released from the Texans yes, er, early in the weekend, signed with the Colts yesterday. I talked with Jake about it. But I'm curious, do you feel like he could cut into that at all? Or say Marlon Mack does miss time. Is he the one that ends up become, becoming the number two starter and fills into the role that you were kind of thinking with Mack? So if Houston is going to cut you, with their depth chart the way it is, it's a really tough sell to think another team is going to say, oh, yeah, you know, you're, you're, the, you're the cure for what ails you, us. But think about this, and I, I'm sure this isn't right, but remember how Bill Belichick used to sign cut players from divisional rivals to learn about their team? Oh, I, wonder yeah. if Frank Reich is, I wonder if Frank Reich is pulling one here, signing Foreman to find out kind of what's going on in Houston camp. Oh, I, I wanted the same thing, and I'll, I'll go back to my experiences. I am a diehard Packers fan, uh, true blood through, and there's been a lot of times where divisional rivals have signed Packers, I think in particular the Vikings, Ryan Longwell, Greg Jennings, any number <laughs> of guys, and, and it's always the joke around Wisconsin that the Vikings are getting our sloppy seconds, and I'm fine letting everyone <laughs> think that. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, I do think there is something about getting informational stuff, and, and you see like Mike Daniels signing with the Lions, Josh Sitton went to the Bears, like – I think it – I don't ever see the Packers sign any of the Vikings slopping seconds or Bears or Lions. Well, it's just because their players are so much worse than the Packers. Uh, but for the most part – That's I, awesome. <laughs> I, I do I do very much subscribe to that theory that uh, the division is just trying to get – you're trying to get as much information as you possibly can about opponents that you're playing twice a season. Right. Now, back to what we started with this. So if Foreman is, and that's not the reason, if that doesn't end up being the it's reason. It's not the whole reason. I, th- I think it, there's, I'm sure, more to it, but there could be a little bit behind that deciding. Sure. But if they actually sign him for his ability to play, I think that if Mac should go down, we're going to see Hines as the dedicated third down back. And then I think there will be different roles within the early down. I think Wilkinson has, you know, a bit of a, you know, something to say about this and Foreman may have a little bit to do, but I don't know that either of them are going to get a share. That's going to be enough to make them much of a fantasy asset behind. I mean, aside from maybe a flex, but I think Hines then becomes the most effective part of that committee. Should Mac not make it? That would be my opinion on it. I could see Foreman being more of a DFS asset, but I would be less inclined to acquire him as maybe a handcuff to Marlon Mack as to what you're saying. I think Hines has some value if Mack's out and probably at the detriment of Foreman. Well, I'm sure you've talked about plenty. We have to get to the Antonio Brown news. Uh, Before we do that, though, let's get a word from our sponsors, Yahoo DFS. It's officially August, which means football season is around the corner, and Yahoo Fantasy has introduced a new fantasy football game called Best Ball that lets you get in the action now. With Best Ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team. Each week, the top scoring players at each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough start or sit decisions. Focus on the best part of fantasy football, the draft. Tired of doing your mock drafts for fantasy and having the other players drop out early and not finish? Free Best Ball Leagues give you the most accurate ADP or average draft position to players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football but don't want to manage those teams all season? Well, you can draft up to 50 best ball teams. Play for free or play for cash, but most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join a league today at yahoo.com slash best ball, coming soon to the Yahoo Fantasy app. All right, I talked about Antonio Brown. Did you see first, did you see the picture of his feet? Very briefly because I turned my eyes. (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't know how squeamish you were about that. I had uh, been doing the NFL wire on Saturdays, and that was when we the news broke that he was visiting a foot specialist. Prior to that, we didn't quite know why Antonio Brown was out necessarily, or we knew it was a foot issue, issue but I, frankly, I chalked it up to just being a veteran and not having to do training camp stuff, yada, yada, yada. And then he had posted a picture on Instagram of his feet and quickly deleted it. I don't know why in today's day and age anyone deletes a picture that's not like a nude shot of you. Like if you're putting it on the internet, someone is going to get it within seconds. So like just might as well keep it up there. But it was deleted. And then, of course, it makes the rounds on, on other uh, competing sites, which you won't necessarily reference. Uh, but yeah, the picture's out there. It's it's a little bit squeamish, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, there's there's a lot of dead skin on a foot that shouldn't be dead skin. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed that hard, well, but it was that's pretty funny. Best, that's the best way to describe it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, obviously, it, it sounds like it's going to be a non-issue that Antonio Brown will certainly be available for the regular season, but potentially even at the end of the preseason, I doubt the Raiders end up playing him. There's too much incentive to keep him on the sideline, make sure he's completely healthy. Uh, and a guy like Antonio Brown, who's on the wrong side of 30, needs the quickness and the route running ability to get open. So it, it makes sense to keep him healthy. Where did you have him prior to the picture, picture gate? We can we could probably start calling it that now, frankly. Uh, and do you have him faded at all in your rankings as a result? Yes. As at wide receiver, I had him as my 12th wide receiver. I'm now moving him down closer to 16th. And here's why. I am very concerned about this missed time. We know Antonio Brown has been an elite fantasy option for many years, but I think some of that had to do with the great chemistry he had with his quarterback. And I think Ben Roethlisberger was never afraid to throw him the ball in any situation. This missed time with the foot injury, the problem is he's not getting reps with Derek Carr. Therefore, when the games actually are played, he's not going to have that comfort level of knowing where Brown's going to be off of breaks, when he's going to get there, all that timing, especially going to a new team. This is potentially problematic. And therefore, I don't want to take on that risk of where he's going to go in drafts. Do you care at all as to what reason his feet end up looking that way? Because I think there's conflicting reports. There's some people that think it's going to be uh, the the Cairo or I'm sorry the the chirotherapy, or maybe it's more of an overexposure to moisture. Either way, he's he's going to be missing time, and I think that's probably the more important part that he's not going to be able to get some reps with his starting quarterback Derek Carr. Yeah, and um, as to why, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to the people who are smarter than me. I'll just leave it to the on-field stuff. <laughs> I'm willing to admit there are many people smarter than me in this regards, and certainly a lot of different medical professionals. It's funny, though, how people are kind of trying to figure out what it is as opposed to just taking the uh, taking the information from, what the, or from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It's weird how a picture can do that as opposed to just saying it outright as, and not releasing the picture overall. I agree with you. I, Tyrell Williams is another addition that I've been kind of high on, and he's going later in that Oakland or later in drafts, and he's situated in that Oakland offense where I think he could be a, a real breakout player. Like the Chargers never utilized him the way he probably should, given his size and speed. I think that could be different for Oakland, but do you feel like there's two different receivers that could have fancy success in Tyrell or Antonio or Tyrell and Antonio, or is it just not possible 
in that offense in your mind to have both be successful? Well, I still think they're going to struggle from a defensive standpoint, despite bringing a number of players in the offseason. And I am really glad you brought up Tyrell Williams because people are sleeping on him. Um, his ADP will go anywhere from the late 120s to a little bit further down than that. I honestly have him as a solid wide receiver four. Um, and I think he has upside for more. I think he has significantly upside for more. But the reason I'll rank him there is because I know he'll always be available in drafts. When you mentioned his uh, ability, he has 82nd percentile speed score. He has 90th percentile explosiveness and 85th percentile agility. This is not just some deep threat. This is a versatile receiver who they can actually get him the ball on slants. And he's such a big dude. Um, they're going to make good use of him. John Gruden. He knows what he has here. And I typically don't like receivers going to new teams, especially unless they're elite receivers, but everything's new in Oakland right now. So I think this is a great match. And I, like I said, I think you are on to this. Um, he is going to be a fantastic match for this team. And Antonio Brown on the field would only help him because you're certainly not going to put any extra attention on Tyrell Williams when Antonio Brown's out there. So I draft him as a wide receiver four, but I really think I could get a lot more than that out of him. Oh yeah, I think I think wide receiver three, um, top top thirty might be a bold statement, but I think he could be a top thirty, top thirty five fantasy receiver by the end of the season. Again, for the size and speed that he had, he was essentially used as a decoy in his time with the Chargers when Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and Melvin Gordon were all healthy. And now I don't know if you necessarily believe they should have done that, but that's how the Chargers ended up using Tyrell Williams. I don't envision the Raiders using him in a similar situation. I think he's going to be more of a receiving threat and not just a deep ball specialist, but a guy that can go over the middle along with Antonio Brown. You're going to have to still double team Antonio Brown, despite his nasty looking feet. Like it's his, <laughs> his coverage or his ability to manipulate the coverage is going to open up opportunities for Tyrell Williams. And I, I love him quite a bit. He's going 141 in 12 team NFFC drafts. I'm taking him. Maybe if you're in an NFFC draft, me, you should assume I'm going to be taking about 20 picks before that, because at least upside wise and for just, what the floor are you getting for Tyrell Williams? I don't know if there's many receivers that can match where you're drafting currently at that spot. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I had a draft on Sunday and I, the, the league I was in it, that the ADP was 128. And um, yours, like you said, was like one forties, but I made sure I got him before then. I wanted to make sure I got him in like in the one tens or so. I got him. That's where I got him there. And the only reason I didn't get him in my draft last night is what I, I had a positional situation um, where quarterbacks kind of all got, snapped up and I had to get a quarterback or else I was going to be doomed. Otherwise I would have had Tyrell as well. But yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that the listeners have a great opportunity to buy on him. Um, and, and this is one, trust us on this one. I think we've got this one covered. Yes, I, I agree with you. I would be remiss not to ask about the holdout situations. Obviously, Michael Thomas signed his record-breaking deal at the wide receiver spot. But, of course, we have top running backs, as it feels like we have every single season, uh, that are debating holding out or maybe being doubtful for training camp and heading into the regular season. We had Le'Veon Bell last year, and I think everyone is scared off on Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott because of Le'Veon Bell holding out and holding out the entire year. How are you handling that situation? I, I, I hate it because everybody, every podcast and everybody else in the fantasy sphere has to talk about but there's a reason why we have to talk about it. I think everyone's opinions can be a little bit conflicting or different on situations and how to handle Zeke and Gordon in particular. So here's what we have to learn from the situation. First of all, we know that the running back position has been devalued across the league. 
when Gurley got the big money, he you know, subsequently got hurt. But when Le'Veon Bell held out, the expectation was that people weren't going to pay him. Once the Jets rolled out the Brinks trucks for him, this set the stage for both Ezekiel Elliott and for Melvin Gordon. They realize it's a business decision. And because Bell got paid, they believe they can get paid as well. I think Gordon's making the mistake of thinking he's that elite talent. And I don't believe he's there. And I think the Chargers know that he's a good running back, but he doesn't deserve elite type of pay. So I think Gordon's going to lose this. Go right ahead, Joe. You were going to add something. No, no I was going to say, what what payment would you feel is more comfortable for me? So reportedly, he denied a $10 million a year contract. And I think that's right in line where I would probably be looking at Gordon. I'm the, I don't know if listeners know this, I'm the Chargers beat writer for, for RotoWire. So I'm, I'm pretty privy to um, at least what they do. Obviously, I don't have any inside sources or anything like that, but I follow the team pretty closely. I know what the situation's going on. And I think Gordon, like you were saying, maybe maybe he isn't elite. I don't know how many truly elite running backs there are out there. Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, in my opinion, is elite. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. There's another tier, and Melvin Gordon's on, on top of that second tier, in my opinion. So it, it feels like they're quibbling over not too much money at all, or, or at least a little bit amount of money for a player that we both can assume. And I think most of the NFL and people following football can assume Melvin Gordon is a pretty good player. Absolutely. Yes. And and I like where you put him in that tier and that's right where he belongs. And the team understands the economics of this and you don't want to spend more money than you need to. They got excellent production out of the combination of Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler last year. So the chargers don't feel like they're really losing much without Gordon on the field. So I think, that as long as Gordon is going to make this business decision and so that he can hopefully get to his free agency, I don't think he's going to show up until he has to accrue that year and show up in the second half of the season. I don't see the Chargers budging. They don't feel the need to do it. So I can't draft Melvin Gordon. I, I cannot take that chance. Um, is he is he a candidate to be traded? Like, How confident would you feel that the Chargers move him to maybe an NFC team like the Buccaneers, who certainly need a running back and are, are currently using Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones as their starting duo? That would be the one place, but they have no cap space. They can't afford him. There's no way they can make that work. So that won't – that was the one team where you know it would be like the uh, urgency of fitting that in – but they don't have the cap space. And the other problem is, and we talked a couple moments ago, the devaluation of the running back position, the teams that get it. And Adam Gase was upset when Le'Veon Bell got signed because he didn't want to put that money there. He wanted the money for the rest of the roster. But other teams are going to be very reluctant to trade for a running back and pay that percentage of the cap that they have no intention of wanting to use on that replaceable position. Do you feel like Zeke is a part of that elite tier category where he should be paid, given how important he is to that Cowboys Cowboys offense? It's a different situation than Gordon. Of course, both those guys are holding out and they want new contracts. Gordon is closer to his free agency than Ezekiel Elliott is. He still has one more year left on his rookie deal. So this is more of an accelerated process. But I'm curious how big of a difference there is in this Zeke situation being resolved compared to Gordon. So first of all, and and I'm one of those film junkies. I, I watch all the NFL film. I can watch every snap of every game. In my opinion, and we're not talking fantasy, we're talking real football, there is no better running back than Ezekiel Elliott. The way he sets up his blocks, 
the pacing at which he'll run and his overall well-rounded game, there is nobody who can touch what Ezekiel Elliott is on a football field. People have better measurables than him, definitely. But in terms of an NFL running back, he is the gold standard. Here's what I think. I just figured this out today because August 6th passed. And I had thought that he would show up by August 6th because he won't accrue a year toward free agency unless he had reported yesterday because he doesn't have uh, the years that Gordon has. So once he didn't report today, what Ezekiel Elliott is basically saying is this. I know Jerry Jones will cave in and pay me because Jerry Jones pays players. And Jerry Jones knows they're in a very, very small window until Dak Prescott's rookie contract is done. And they have no chance of winning a Super Bowl this year if Elliott's not there. So I think it's a calculated gamble. I I, I feel 90% plus certain that Jerry Jones will cave in before opening day because he needs to win. Yeah, I feel confident about Jerry Jones caving in too. I don't know in which order he pays the big three, Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott. It seems like Zeke's pushing the issue that he needs to be the one that's paid first, and that's fine. I can see that happening. But the Cowboys' Super Bowl window is open right now. Besides the Eagles in that NFC East division, there's no one that comes close to the overall talent the Cowboys have. And I either they get the wild card or they get the uh, – the, the division when they're going to be in the playoffs, a Super Bowl run is not out of the question for me. That's also what I feel about the Chargers too. Like other than other than the Chiefs, who are the Chiefs and are one of the best teams in the NFL, not just the AFC, but the Chargers have a lot of incentive right now as a playoff aspiration, Super Bowl aspiration type of team too. And their cap space situation over the next two years, other than Joey Bosa and maybe an extension to Philip Rivers is pretty nice. Like they're, they don't have to make a lot of different deals. Maybe Keenan Allen ends up renegotiating, renegotiating his deal earlier, but there's room available to do a two- or three-year contract that pays Melvin Gordon like the top running back that he wants. He might not get the years, but the money, I think, could potentially happen. That's why I'm, not, I'm confused why the Chargers are dragging this out, and I'm confused why the Cowboys are too, because to me it doesn't make a lot of sense. Both these, both these teams need their running backs to be successful if they want to have great seasons like they could. I certainly get your point. It makes great sense. But I really think that Ezekiel Elliott is fundamental to the Cowboys winning. And I think Melvin Gordon is secondary or tertiary to the Chargers winning. That engine that runs the Cowboys offense is Elliott. Dak Prescott is not the elite type of quarterback who can put a team on his shoulders, but if he has Ezekiel Elliott behind him, defenses will always put extra men in the box to deal with Elliott, therefore making the passing game better. Where Melvin Gordon doesn't command that respect. Phillip Rivers is the one that would dictate the defense more than Gordon. So I like your point, but I think in terms of that, I think that Eckler and Jackson in the backfield would have the same impact on the defense that Gordon would have. And I just think they're putting their line in the sand because if they pay him, then they got to pay the next running back who comes through. And I think that they're not willing to play that game. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And you're right. Other than maybe Saquon Barkley, there isn't a running back out there currently that has a greater influence on the offense than Ezekiel Elliott. I feel very comfortable saying that Barkley is literally the only offense for the Giants. So that's a little bit different situation. But uh, the Cowboys have a lot of other pieces. The pieces don't run or at least don't run as functioning as you'd like them to unless Ezekiel Elliott is there. So I I 100% agree with you. I want to talk about your draft and uh, the situation, everything else like that, after we get a word from our sponsors, Autonew. 
our new fantasy football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real GM. It's better fantasy football, auction-based, deep rosters, and college player prospects. You can stash the next rookie of the year while he's still tearing it up on Saturdays. I actually have Jonathan Taylor stashed in two of my different Autono leagues. As maybe, maybe it's just because I'm a Badger fan overall, but I feel pretty good that he's going to be a star when he comes to the NFL. But that's that's the great part about the Autono leagues themselves. And You can trade for superstars to make a championship push, or you can develop a team over multiple seasons. Play against the best fantasy football competition on the internet visit autonew.com today have you done an autonew league uh jim currently in one probably year four and it's with a number of the rotowire guys yes yeah are you in the same one as me i think so i think yeah we're in the same league what team is what team is yours i'm the evil Uh, empire i do uh, yeah i i do the the cop out um alliteration just joe for just yes, about every yep. every one of my my titles for that, yes. Yeah. So that's that's the one auto new league I'm in three right now. That's the one that I don't currently own Jonathan Taylor in. But I love the process. I love the ability to acquire the collegiate players. And last season was a weird year for me where I had Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott, and I wasn't able to compete. So I traded Ezekiel Elliott. I'm keeping Le'Veon Bell, uh, and I was able to pick up a number of prospects, including Daryl Henderson. Um, because I was not in contention, I think that's one of the fun things that you can kind of guess on some of these college football stars and if they can make it to the NFL and do well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, you had talked about you had done a draft. It was yesterday, right? Yesterday and Sunday. Yeah, I did a oh, couple you, in the last few days. Okay, so you did two. All right. Which one? Uh, let's. The money is always the most important thing, right? The viewers listen always to the, the money and where is it going. So which one was the more expensive buy-in for the leagues that you did? You know what I'm doing on the draft app. And, and I'm really doing them. I, I do them. They're not for big money. Um, they're both smaller stakes, but I tend to play small. I don't like playing larger stakes. I play a bunch of small stakes. And the reason I do it is because I don't like mock drafts with no money on the line. Oh, yeah. I just I just want some drafts with some skin in the game so I know it's a draft that I can learn from. And then when I'm writing things for our subscribers and, and talking to our listeners, I can talk out of a basis of like reality. So the drafts were not high stakes, but again, they both were competitive. They were no, everybody was very serious. So were these the best sense. ball ones? Were they actually just? Yes. Okay. All right. So what pick did you have in the, the, the one that you just did the other day? I had the third pick. Oh, all right. So you had to choose between the big five. I, I, I know everyone has a big four. I have a big five with David Johnson. So where did you end up going with that third pick with Zeke and his contract situation? Well, I think we're kindred spirits here because I have David Johnson as my number two player on the board, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Elliot would be my number one. But right now, with until I get some clarity, I can't use that high pick on him. I just can't take the uncertainty. But, um, yeah, so David Johnson was my no-brainer pick. Um, it's kind of funny how last year, you know, a lead athlete across the board, he gets in a horrible situation. They're running him up the middle, and they're running him into traffic, and they have no passing game. And he has a down year, and everybody thinks David Johnson's good but not great. Well, Barkley's now in the situation that Johnson was in last year. Whereas Johnson now finally is in a situation where they'll use him. So for me, no brainer. David Johnson is my number two on the board. That's interesting. If I had talked about with all the receiver depth that they had lost over the first week of training camp, Sterling Shepard broke his thumb. He'll probably be back week one, but we don't quite know for certain. Golden Tate had the, obviously the four game suspension. Uh, They lost Corey Coleman to an ACL tear. That was like, Oh wait, God, the Giants really have nothing. They literally have no receivers. It's only Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. And Eli Manning's a really, really bad quarterback, so this could be bad. And that was the point where I was like, oh, Barkley was number one easily for me. 
I don't know if I feel comfortable taking him now. I, if, if I knew Zeke was signed and with the Cowboys, I think he would be an easy number one pick for me. And then Barkley, I'm not sure I want to take Barkley over J- David Johnson, though. So can you convince me a little bit more on that one? Yes. If I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm playing the Giants, I am strongly considering going cover zero. I'm not putting a safety back. Eli Manning cannot beat me deep under any circumstances in any scenario. I'm taking a spy. And I'm putting my Saquon Barkley. So if he decides to leak out into a pass route, I got a spy and was going to hit him immediately. I can take Barkley out of the game and I can say, Eli Manning, beat me. I don't know that every defensive coordinator can do that. But anyone that looks at what their opponent is, it's a pretty easy decision. They have no receivers that can beat you deep. You don't need a safety. You don't need safety help. And if you get any pressure on Manning, he rattles. Now, the case for David Johnson. We haven't seen the error rate in the NFL but basically it's 10 personnel, which means four receivers. The premise of this air raid is they run vertical routes and they break these routes off early if the defense overplays to give the quarterback an earlier target. But the one beauty and the few times that NFL sees 10 personnel, there are wide running lanes because the defense has to spread out to deal with the four receivers. David Johnson has 97th percentile burst, 91st percentile speed, and 83rd percentile agility. He has the real deal across the board. If this man is going to have creases to run in, as opposed to what he's had over the last few years, what he can do once he has a crease is literally going to be unstoppable. Also, his ability as a receiver, I'm sure they will at times put him in the slot. They will use him and weaponize him as one of the most well-rounded running backs in the league. And the pace of play that they want to run at in Arizona, they're hoping to run 80-plus plays a game. Will that happen? Maybe, maybe not. But I think we could pretty safely say they have a great chance of being in the top five in the league in plays run. Give me David Johnson in that circumstance. I'll take the talent. And the circus. That That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, all the percentiles that you list about David Johnson are true, and that's what I was telling people last year when they're frustrated that he only got seven touchdowns or, or ten touchdowns overall and just over 1,300 total yards and was just getting run into the middle of the, the field. And, and there was there was no imagine, imaginative part of the Cardinals' offense last year. That's certainly going to be the opposite this year, right? Like, we don't know what the air raid offense is going to look like, but we can safely assume it's going to be better than last season. I still don't know if we can just assume outright that it's going to be better than Saquon Barkley, who I believe is a transcendent talent at the running back position. And yeah, he's going to be playing against stacked boxes. And yeah, Eli Manning can't beat you uh, over the top or really even underneath. I don't think there's literally anything that Eli Manning can do that makes him a relevant NFL quarterback in 2019. But I think Saquon Barkley is going to be so good that he might make up for some of that stuff. We're we're probably going to end up seeing similar numbers, at least Barkley, uh, we're going to see Barkley get similar numbers to what David Johnson did last year, where he maybe gets over a thousand rushing yards, but he'll probably get the touchdown work and he'll get guaranteed receiving totals. And I think in a PPR format, it's safer to take a Saquon Barkley because while we know that offense is going to be great, we know at least it's something as opposed to, we have no idea what the Cardinals office is. Maybe, maybe it's a ceiling versus floor discussion. I don't know how you stand on that, but I'm not entirely convinced I can just fade away Saquon Barkley just yet. I like your logic, and I have Barkley. Like, at, well, we have Elliott's in the mix. I have him as my fourth running back. I have no qualms that he's a top-level fantasy player, and I like your argument. It makes sense. I, I am worried how many touchdowns are the Giants really going to score? So if he's getting the goal line work, how many sustained drives are they going to have that get them near the goal line? I'm a little concerned with that. 
My one last thing about the air raid is this. It seems like any time a new offense to the NFL has come in, it's been successful at first. Like Chip Kelly may have been a horrible GM. But remember that first year when they were running out um, his offense? It was successful. It was putting up big fantasy numbers. The Wildcat came in out of nowhere until they got figured out. That had almost a full season of success. Um, I, I, my thing with the air raid is this. NFL defenses are not equipped to play four cornerbacks full time. A, they don't have the depth. B, their fourth corner is usually hor- horrendous, if not their third as well. And the way that in the pace of play, this also would be very problematic for defenses because they don't have the kind of depth at corner to deal with that pace of play and that pressure of passing game. So that's just my thoughts on it. And I could be wrong as all could blow up. And that's at least though where I'm kind of aligning myself. If Cliff Kingsbury was actually a good coach at the collegiate level, I'd feel more confident. And yeah, the offense was pretty good when he was the, the coach there, but I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I just have reservations. Like I, I'm going to have to see it first. I've also been a little bit lower on Kyler Murray than I think a lot of people at RotoWare. Um, I am, and I, I'm almost bashfully admitting this, but I am a little bit concerned about his height. Um, I know that's like the taboo thing that we do just to knock Kyler Murray, but let's let's be honest with ourselves. Like, how many sub five ten quarterbacks have been successful in the NFL? Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, like it's it's a pretty short list and he's a rookie so short short list i I like that i didn't even do that intentionally but fantastic i'll I'll pat myself on the back with that yeah you will it's 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 a difficult thing for me to assume that a rookie who also isn't that big and behind an offensive line that isn't that good in an offense that's completely new to the nfl and that also means new to essentially what you imagine kyler murray like he's the one quarterback probably is equipped better to throw in that style than most people being drafted this year it still is a bit of a concern to me, and yeah, you're. It's it's either it either is going to be really good, like top ten NFL offense, and you're going to have uh, Larry Fitzgerald probably be a fantasy relevant guy. I love Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler. I thought they drafted some fantastic receivers, and I love Christian Kirk. So they got the skill position players to make a top ten offense, or it's going to be a bottom ten offense, and we're going to have the Cardinals fire their rookie coach after the first season for a second consecutive season. I think it's important to listeners here that you have the alternate take on because, yeah, we don't want to just sell one take. There, there always are so many range, um, ranges in the, I'm sorry, a range of outcomes that's vast. And so I think by offering that, at least people can critically say, okay, well, it's not automatically going to be this. We have to understand that option B is quite different. So I think it's, it's a good um, take you have on it. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to your second, third, and fourth round discussion because I think especially with that third pick, it's going to lead to some interesting conversation. But first, I want to hear from one last sponsor, FantasyDraft.com. FantasyDraft.com would like you to bring an important message about Rake. Are you tired of paying high fees to play Daily Fantasy? Did you know that over time, these fees called Rake can cost Daily Fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As Daily Fantasy sites continue to raise Rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More Rake just means more money lining the pockets of the big DFS sites and less money for players. But change has arrived. Fantasy Draft has changed the game by bringing you rake-free daily fantasy. That's right. You're now able to play your favorite contest without pl- paying any rake. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of entry fees will be paid out to contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contest rake-free on Fantasy Draft will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars in rake every month. Rake-free daily fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FantasyDraft.com today. Take part in rake-free revolution. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. So you pick number three in your most recent draft draft, 
and you took uh, David Johnson, who you believe to be the second overall player first if you're including uh, Ezekiel Elliott out with a suspension. How did you do the second round, though? Because you could maybe reasonably consider Zach Ertz if he was still there. I doubt Travis Kelsey was. Or it's like a Damian Williams kind of situation, running back Marlon Mack, who you're high on as well, could be in that range or you're just trying to go receiver at that point. So I did go with a running back. Um, it's so hard to get enough running backs to feel confident, uh, especially in a best ball league. So, yes, Mack was on the board, but Nick Chubb was also, and I have Chubb ahead of Mack, and I'll explain why in a minute. So I did go with Nick Chubb there. I knew I'd be able to get a receiver on the, the turnaround the third round, but – I'm very high on Nick Chubb, and I know a lot of people are worried about Kareem Hunt. But my opinion on Hunt is I believe he was more a product of the Andy Reid system than he is a a high-end talent on his own. I don't see him as other than maybe a bit of a third down back. I don't see him as a big threat. Now, when we look at Kareem Hunt's measurables, he's got 45th percentile speed, 68th percentile burst. Now, this is a a belying stat. The number on his agility is 16th percentile, but we've seen him be kind of shifty in the field. So it probably isn't that low. But what that does tell me, though, is in Andy Reid's offense, he gets you in space. His play design is unmatched, especially in the screen game. Well, Nick Chubb's going to be playing for eight games before Hunt is around. And with Chubb being a huge man with 91st percent, 90th percentile speed and 91st percentile burst, I think Nick Chubb is the real deal. Last year, he was near the top of the league in seeing stacked boxes. Well, with Baker Mayfield established and Odell Beckham out there, guess who's not going to see stacked boxes much anymore? Yeah, I, I think Nick Chubb definitely fits into that <laughs> qualification. I had... Um... Well, in the NFL magazine, I had written that I thought Nick Chubb was going too high. And that's when I was seeing people, and I had done a few best ball drafts prior to participating in the RotoWire magazine draft, which I think was in May, going at the back end of the first round or early, like middle first round, like above James Conner, um, above Le'Veon Bell, who I thought was ridiculous, above David Johnson as well. And it never made sense to me. His ADP has fallen out of the point where he's mid-second round, late-second round, where it probably looks a little bit weird if you're reading the magazine today and be like, oh, wow, I, I don't know if I want to fade Nick Chubb in the second round. I don't either. I, I'm, I'm fine taking it, but I am a little bit concerned about Kareem Hunt's role on the offense and Odell Beckham's role on the offense. I think they, the Browns acquire Beckham for a reason. It's A, to help out Jarvis Landry, who they offered a lot of money to last year and need to kind of get a bigger return on investment. But he's going to be a target, right, for Baker Mayfield and some of them are going to be featuring often. Nick Chubb is, I think, at best the number two, number three person on that offense. Duke Johnson's going to be factoring in. Once week 10 rolls around, the Browns have every incentive to make Kareem Hunt not just he's not going to be the starting running back but to make every incentive to have him split time if only to get a high compensatory pick out of him when he ends up going to sign with a team next year like other than the the narrative driven stuff where oh yeah they took a chance on Kareem Hunt they really want to pay off and not look foolish that they kind of picked up this publicity hit compensatory pick wise, it makes a lot of sense for them to feature him as a guy that could maybe get a bigger contract in the offseason because they have Nick Chubb and they have Duke Johnson, who are two stellar running backs, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a great take on the compensatory pick. I just wonder if a team who believes they actually can compete for the playoffs and maybe a, a deep run into the playoffs. And I know we're talking about the Browns here. So I wonder how much 
you know, and it's a great point. I wonder how much the compensatory pick will play into that as this team is finally having a chance to be a potentially winning football team. But um, but it's a great point. It's something that listeners should pay attention to because that could take some of the error out of Nick Chubb's sales. How much, I mean, again, listeners, you take Nick Chubb in that back into the second round because you're still getting nine weeks of a premier running back in a premier offense. Like that, you, you can't really go wrong with that. But when that comes around, maybe you're trying to sell him a little bit before then our trade. And certainly if an injury comes around, Kareem Hunt becomes instantly more valuable where he is the immediate starter. But how much of a uh, downgrade talent-wise is Chubb to Kareem Hunt, in your opinion? I don't know if it's that marginally different. So you're right. The, the Browns have playoff aspirations, and I, they should. I, I don't think it hurts them to be using Hunt in a similar way as they use Chubb because I think both are pretty talented running backs. Chubb's just slightly better. Well, here's the thing, though. On their metrics, Chubb blows away Kareem Hunt. I like literally blows him away in every measurable area. It's, it's like – it's their measurables. It's scrub running back against legitimate NFL starter. That's what their metrics show. And now on the field, Chubb acquitted himself quite well last year. Again, facing those stack boxes, whereas Kareem Hunt always saw a light box with a, a master strategist of an offensive mind in Andy Reid who got more out of his players than they would, you know, in, in any other system. So I think these are just the things that the listeners need to consider. You have some great counterpoints to this, but, but I think in terms of athleticism, I, I let's based on metrics, let's not make the mistake and think Kareem Hunt is better than Nick Chubb because there is no area he can compete with him. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think he's better than Nick Chubb. I just think he's, he's pretty close to it. You went, um, so we went two running backs to start. I imagine then that turn on, on round three and round four in particular really was the area that you identified wide receiver, right? Four straight receivers coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so T.Y. Hilton was available at 27. And um, and last year, Andrew – and I, I'm again, I'm hoping Andrew Luck's healthy. That's a little bit of a risk there. But from – the time in the second half of the season when they finally let Andrew Luck throw downfield and they were confident in him, Hilton had 900 yards in the second half of the season, which led the league. I came back in the fourth round with DJ Moore at pick number 46, um, which is actually not far, a few picks off of his ADP. But um, last year, I thought there was no chance that Norv Turner could have an effective NFL offense running his caveman style. He actually changed. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen that he actually got Cam Newton focusing on being a short passer, throwing on early downs. DJ Moore was an explosive talent. So I was super happy to get him. He's a guy I'm targeting as many drafts as possible. That's interesting. I'm I'm completely fading uh, DJ Moore. We have we have competing viewpoints. There's some like I love Chris Godwin at that round four spot and he's kind of going round three now at this point or Kelvin Ridley, if I'm going to be taking a gamble, but it's not so much. Um, I'm worried about Nerv Norv Turner. I'm worried about Cam Newton overall. Obviously uh, he's rehabbing the shoulder injury. They've been pretty easy on him in the preseason as they should. Uh, Cam Newton's value as a fantasy quarterback is based off his legs, not so much his arms. We're not going to see much of the legs this season, I think, if they're trying to preserve their star quarterback. But that's not the conversation, right? The conversation is focused primarily on DJ Moore. I don't know if Cam Newton is that good of a thrower, and even if he's throwing short, it feels like, in, and maybe I just was watching too many Devin Funches tapes, where he would chuck the ball 15 yards above Devin Funches' head, and Funches is six foot four. Like, there shouldn't be a reason for him to be overshooting him. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that Cam Newton is this, you know, pure blood great quarterback anymore. 
and he's coming off a shoulder surgery where I think it's going to be a little bit limiting to him. I don't, I actually, this, this is a hot take and I'm not trying to just spew him out here. I think the Panthers aren't going to win. They're not going to be a 500 team. I think they're going to be a little bit worse than that. And the saints and Falcons are going to be the NFC South winners. And I, I think it's going to become at the detriment of the Panthers offense and Cam Newton and the receivers in particular. It may, I totally can't argue with you. Can I, I think that like, they easily could be a poor performing team. Now they did add some pass rush on defense to help them, but I, I see. I completely hear where you're coming from. I do want to add one thing though about the Cam Newton thing. He is a horrible thrower of the football in the intermediate to deep area. But what last year, and I, I don't have it in front of me. I was trying to scramble my computer to find it, but I want to say that he had the highest completion. Um, percentage of his career before the shoulder basically fell off on him. And it was because they were getting the ball, throwing it short. Newton finally was making connections. The mistake they had made was by what you had mentioned. They got him all those big wingspan receivers like Kelvin Benjamin back in the day, Devin Funches. And they realized it took them a long time to figure out. It doesn't matter what your wingspan is if the dude can't throw to intermediate in the deep portion of the field. They got him throwing these much shorter controlled passes. And it worked until, again, his shoulder got hurt in the Pittsburgh game. But he had been doing quite well. And that didn't coincide with DJ Moore's uptick in targets. Um, he saw down the end of the season, he was seeing a 17.2% target share toward the end of the season. So that started to ramp up and he started to have some production. But um, but I, again, agreeing that Newton's not accurate, I really think the change from Nor- from North Turner, that unlocked the Cam Newton code. And I think even with the shoulder recovering, the short throws he can make, he's not, I don't think he's going to be airing it out. And I think they switched his personnel to Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore because I think that was the vision of what they could do with Cam. It's interesting. Um, what, what I'm essentially hearing is that injury might have actually helped them force Cam Newton to be more of a short thrower, and that in turn could help the offense. It's weird to think that an injury could be beneficial to a fantasy player or just their offense overall, but it feels like that's kind of what you're thinking with Cam Newton, and I can't really dispute that. That's an, that's an interesting take that I hadn't really thought of before. We're, we're running a little bit low on time, but I would be remiss not to ask if there's any late-round targets besides Tyrell Williams that you were able to get in your drafts that you really liked. Yes, yeah, so Jarek McKinnon, I got him about 140 picks into the draft. He just got taken off the pup list. Um, I know that last year, Kyle Shanahan brought him in on purpose, knowing that he has typically elite athleticism uh, off the charts. And I think that Kyle Shanahan had a plan to use that speed and agility. And I think once training camp gets going here, we know what Tevin Coleman is. So I think he's going to utilize him. So I was very happy. 140 picks into a draft, take a flyer. Um, at tight end, Delaney Walker is dropping into the 140s, and he broke his ankle last year, but he had been like a top five tight end previous years. He's a later target. A couple more, and I'll finish here. Gerald Everett, um, in the best ball league where you probably need three tight ends, and you're going about 200 picks in, if the Rams decide to use a little more 12 personnel, more another tight end on the field, he's in his third year, and he was kind of drafted to be the um, the Jordan Reed version that um, McVay had had a number of years back. And a very, very late dart throw in leagues. Paul Richardson is healthy for the first time in like forever. And he is a very athletically gifted player who just has never had a good situation. And not that Washington is one, but he could emerge as a number one receiver 
and they're going to have to throw the ball sometimes. So those are some players I targeted late. I, the Gerald Everett one is one of my favorite tight ends. I've been kind of convinced by Mario Puig, who's done a lot of excellent reporting on the job battles in particular, uh, uh, and Jordan Thompson, the tight end for the Texans. But if I'm not taking Jordan Thompson with one of my last few picks in a best ball format, I always end up gravitating towards Gerald Everett. We saw in the playoffs uh, when Cooper Cup was out and when they weren't able to kind of focus on Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, that it was Everett that was getting more of the targets. And other than Josh Reynolds, who I think is also kind of a bit of a sleeper candidate in an offense in the Rams that I think is going to be very good again this season, I don't mind making a 15th, 16th, 17th round selection if you're in a deep league like that on a tight end like Gerald Everett or Josh Reynolds because you know the offense is going to be good, and that's where I'm kind of basing uh, what, what I can see on the tight end position in Everett in particular. Excellent point. Yes, you're just like me. We're on the same wavelength with that one, and I see those reasons being definite um, explanations as to why to go after Gerald Everett in your draft. Yeah. Well, is before we head out, is there anything else that you got going on in the next couple of weeks? Any other drafts with uh, some listeners that you're doing or uh, any articles that you're getting on the site soon? So next weekend, I'll be doing the Kings Classic in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, it was last year was the inaugural one. And just meeting a lot of the industry giants and hanging out with them. It was just a great time, a great social event, but a live draft where everybody was in person. And then we went around and did an auction next. And so just great group of guys, but a great competition. And then a lot of football talk. So that'll be my big deal one. And I just finished uh, tonight. I'll be posting my last of my 32 scheme and metrics team previews on the Rotowire blog site. And I've been very excited to write those up. Um, just a little different take than the standard take on, you know, looking at our fantasy prospects by team. Do you normally tweet those um, those metric ones out for the blog? Yeah, I, every, I, I was I was doing two a days for the last uh, sixteen days, and I always tweet out. Yeah, so I have them all tweeted out. Um, Thirty-one of them are tweeted so far. The thirty-second one will go up this evening. All right. Well, you can find that thirty-second one, the last of the series, and certainly you can look at more. Uh, of that series at, at Jim Coventry at or at Jim Coventry NFL. Um, yeah, I, this was great. I'm, I'm glad we could have you on. I'm glad we could catch up since we missed our Vegas time. But this was this was fantastic. And I will be in Vegas next year, and we yes. definitely will hang out. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us in the Rotoware NFL podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Yahoo DFS. We'll see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.